And so last week, we, we did part one of this series called Under Pressure. And I'd really encourage you, if you uh, weren't here last week, to go and listen to it, uh, because it really just gives you a full scope of just some things that you can do um, and can know and can believe in and can put your faith in, in order to deal with pressure in your life. And uh, one of the biggest things that we said is that the biggest stress reliever or, or, or reliever of pressure in our lives is to know the heart of God towards us, to know that you're not alone in this fight, to know that you're not uh, having to take it all on in your own strength, to know that God hasn't abandoned you, that you're not running around in the streets like an orphan who has no home, that you have a Father who cares for you, that He loves you, that His heart is for you, that He is, is looking after you, and, and uh, that when Jesus went to the cross, He relieved us of our greatest pressures. Because even though we, fi- we face the press- pressures of, of work and of finances and of family, uh, we don't face the pressure of condemnation any longer. We don't face the pressure of, of being at, uh, in, in, at enmity with God any longer. We don't face the pressure of not knowing the purpose of our lives any longer and living lives that don't have meaning. Those pressures have forever been settled by Jesus on our behalf. And so we can be full of courage as we take on the general pressure that life throws at us. When we deal with the hardships in life, what we looked at last week is just three things that we saw Jesus do and that that we understand about God that will help us. The first one is that Jesus took time to be alone and to pray. Sometimes it's so good just to step aside and to remind yourself of the presence of God in your life to remind yourself of His faithfulness, to remind yourself of His love. And all of a sudden you go, those pressures that I prayed about, they seem so small. In fact, we see one prayer in the Bible in, in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah begins to pray and he's facing some big issues. And he begins to pray and he spends the beginning of that prayer just talking about how great God is, how, how awesome He is, how He's the creator of heaven and earth, how He is the one who put the, the stars in their, in their place and knows them all by name. And, and he just prays through the greatness of God. It's like he's reminding himself who this God is that he actually serves. And it's almost as if by the point he got, by the time he got to his problem, his problem just seemed so insignificant in comparison. And so we got to take time to be alone and to pray. That was number one. Number two is that Jesus is compassionate. We saw his compassion while he was here on earth, loving people, praying for people, helping people. And so if he's that compassionate, he's still that compassionate. And that means that when we have strife, when we have struggles, when we have trouble, we can run into his arms and know that we can receive grace in our time of need. He's there and he's compassionate. And the third thing was that we should learn to interrupt the things in our lives that are urgent in order to focus on that which is important to interrupt the urgent for the important, uh, because there's important things on life that we would miss out on if we were just focused on whatever is urgent. There will always be urgency. There will always be an email to answer. There will always be a text to get back to. There will always be a situation or a, or, or a meeting or a bill, but, but many times as we focus on those things, we lose sight of what's really important in our lives, and so it's great to be able to interrupt what's urgent to focus on what's important. And that's what we looked at last week. So today, we're doing part two in our series on, on Under Pressure. And I'm going to go to Matthew 26. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Matthew chapter number 26 and verse 36. I'm just going to read four verses here of a time of intense pressure in Jesus' life. One of the things also that we saw last week is that Jesus faced pressure. He dealt with pressure in a very real way, probably greater pressure than many of us would ever even know. 
In Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Let's just pause there for a moment. Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. The Son of God Himself, living here on earth, wasn't just waltzing around with little bluebirds flying over His shoulder all day or, or, or with like music. Just He has His own personal soundtrack wherever He goes. Uh, you know, he, he actually faced trouble. And in this moment, He says, guys, just come and pray with me. And He takes three of them with me. He says, please, just, just pray with me. And it says, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus Himself experienced pressure, experienced trouble. Says, then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. I feel like I could die right now. That's the way I'm feeling, Jesus says. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. See, Jesus always, when he faced the pressure, the first thing he did was pray. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. <laughs> this this is an amazing moment. Jesus has come to save the whole world. And at the point where it's going to happen, he's like, is there any other way? <laughs> is there any other way that this could happen except for me having to face the cross? My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but your will be done. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not stand with me for one hour? I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to get into part two in our series called Under Pressure. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning that you have relieved our pressure. We thank you for a spirit of peace, a spirit of joy, a spirit of righteousness, a spirit of truth in this place today, Lord God. We just pray, Lord, that you would just make your presence felt in every situation, in every circumstance, in every life this morning, Lord. We pray that we would all come to trust in you a little bit more, come to believe in your faithfulness a little bit more today, Lord, and that we would, God, when we face trouble, when we face pressure, when we face trials, run into your arms like children running to their father. And we thank you today, God, for how your spirit is speaking, for, for what you're doing in our church, for the way that you're, that you're helping us uh, take one step after another as we fulfill the plans and the purposes that you have for our lives. And we give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. So like many good lead pastors, I started out as a youth pastor. And so at the age of 21, I was employed by a church as a youth pastor, and many of those youth members are actually in the building today. Many of them um, have now known me for, you know, over 10 years and have, have all grown up, and now they kind of have their own marriages and their own kids, and, and it's been an amazing journey uh, here in the city just with, with so many good friends and so many good guys and, and girls that we've been able to connect with over the years. And, um, and so I was a youth pastor for a, the good part of 10 years. And in those 10 years, I have so many amazing stories and funny stories and occurrences and events and, and crises and things that we dealt with over 10 years of youth ministry or seven years of youth ministry. And in, in fact, I, I, I love to recount them and think back on some of the amazing times that we had and we go out on camps and, and just the, the spirit of adventure that comes with um, leading a, a youth ministry. 
And so I was always thinking up ways that we could have more fun and that we can do stuff and, and, uh, and things that we could do with the young people. And so I remember one year we were um, coming towards the end of the year like we are now. And in December, we decided to kind of close youth down, um, but have kind of special socials um, on Friday nights. And so on a, one Friday night, we had a big Hawaiian party that turned into like a, about a four-hour water fight. It involved quad bikes, you know, people being blinded. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff happening on, um, that evening. Just like it was a ton of fun. Um, and, uh, and one specific night, I arranged to take about 50 young people across to the Joburg Zoo. And we all went to the zoo, we had a picnic, we sat down, and then we knew some people who worked at the zoo, um, who were managers at the zoo, and so we, we chatted to them and arranged the whole thing, and they then took this group, split it into two, and we all went on a, a tour of the nocturnal animals at night in the Joburg Zoo, which was pretty special, and... I had something else in store as well for the young people that night, something that I had been working on and that I had been arranging with the Joburg Zoo. And some of the guys here were there that night. I, I think you're actually on the video. It's on YouTube. Um, and, so, and so basically what I did was at one point the tour ended. We got to one place, and I had prearranged with the Joburg Zoo to take a Joburg Zoo uh, vehicle to park it and to put an animal crate on the back of the bucky. Um, and so at one point when the tour was over, the tour guide said, okay, well, we have a special surprise for you guys. Uh, we have just uh, received a new gorilla that's arrived all the way from the Congo, and he is sitting in the back of a crate on a bucky, and uh, we couldn't put him into the enclosure yet because it's too late at night, um, but we can go and see him if you all agree to keep your voices down. We don't want to tranquilize him. We don't want him to get aggressive or anything like that, but let's go and see the gorilla. And so as they make their way through kind of the horticultural section to the back offices of the, of the zoo, I peel off the back and run the other way around and put on a gorilla suit and get on get into the crate. But it was a full gorilla suit. It had hands, it had feet, it had everything. Like you would have thought I was a gorilla all the way through. And so I get into this crate, my heart is pounding, and I see these torches come along, and now I've got 50 kids crammed around this bucky, um, like trying to see in, being all clever and excited and asking about his name and all of the rest. And so I'm pretending as the gorilla now to get a little bit more riled up. And so I like start banging the sides and, and all the kids are like, ooh, this is exciting. And so they're like sticking their fingers through and all the rest. And at one moment, in one moment, I throw the door up and I just come charging out. And uh, I'm screaming. I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best gorilla growl. Um, and, and kids just scattered. The problem was it worked a little bit too well. So when you think a gorilla has just escaped, you don't turn around to check if it's your youth pastor. You're gone. So we had kids running out of the Joburg Zoo and we had to fetch them at the top of Jan Smuts Avenue because they're like, we're not even going back to that zoo ever again because there may be a gorilla loose. My own brother ran over his friends and his girlfriend at the time, like ran right over her. We had to fetch him at the vulture cages. And um, he had, a, he had a, like an identity crisis. I remember he couldn't recover. He was sitting there for, like, for days. He was like, I can't believe I did that. I ran over my girlfriend. I didn't even, I didn't even care if, if the gorilla got her. He just, he just went. And so somebody uh, had a video of it, and we put it up on YouTube. And so at one point, I went back and watched the video. Um, and I actually went frame by frame the moment that the, uh, the door lifted up to see what people's re reactions were. 
And what's so amazing is how every person's reaction looks different. There was one girl specifically, she's talking to somebody laughing, and the door opens up, and her face just goes like, it just goes blank, and she just does this. But she doesn't run. She stands in one, like, you know, a gorilla just escaped in front of you, and she stands in one place covering her mouth, um, as if that was going to protect her from the gorilla. Like, if the gorilla can't see your teeth, he's going to leave you alone, you know? Another guy, also just with a very kind of calculated move, he actually uses the bucky, aims where he's going to go, and then pushes off, like, like so well calculated, like, no panic, I just got to get out of here, basically. And, uh, and then others obviously have arms, you know, flailing in the air and screaming and just like absolutely losing it. And so it's so amazing to see how there were different reactions to this moment of pressure or this, or this, this moment of, of, of crisis. And in our lives as people, we also have different reactions um, to pressure. So not everybody deals with pressure the same way. Not everybody deals with crisis the same way. We all deal with stress differently. Some people cry. Some people are criers, and they, they just they, they want to cry, and, and when they feel the pressure, they'll, they'll sit down, and they'll cry, and they possibly feel a little bit better. Other people get real quiet. They, they get all introverted, and they don't speak much, and they, they just kind of go along their day and, and just slowly move along without, without making too much noise. And other people will process verbally. This is more the side that I'm on, where I, would, I just want to talk about it. I want to, I want to let everybody know. I want to talk about what's going on. And I, I'm very much a verbal uh, processor, and, and, and people are like that. That's how some people deal with stress. Some people just, they become despondent. They almost slump into a bit of depression, just completely lose sight of what our purpose is in life and where are we going, and this doesn't feel great. And, you know, they stop responding. They stop enjoying things in life. They stop feeling like there's, there's hope in life. Others become aggressive. Uh, they, they, they begin to fight with people because of the pressure that they're feeling. And these are all just different coping mechanisms, none of them necessarily better than the other, just how we all differently deal with stress. And one other thing that we sometimes do when we experience pressure, when we experience crisis, is we sleep. A lot of people, and I've been in those moments in my life where there's just so much going on and there's so much to deal with and there's so much to think about that actually the best thing that you can think to do is to just go and take a nap, just to sleep. It's almost like it gives you at least an hour or two of respite from the, the difficulty that you're dealing with. And, uh, and, and if I can just sleep for a bit, then I, I could hopefully escape all of these intense emotions. And so when we come to Jesus and His disciples, Jesus is facing a moment of intense pressure. He's sorrowful even to the point of death. He's like, I don't even want to live anymore. That's how, that's how Jesus feels. And he takes some disciples with him, and he says to the disciples, hey, um, can, you, can you just come and sit with me? Can we pray together? Um, and, and it tells us that these disciples fell asleep. And we often think, what such useless disciples, you know? They've been walking with Jesus for three years. It's his greatest moment of pressure, and, uh, and he feels that, uh, you, you know, it's his greatest moment, and these disciples fall asleep. And, and I've often thought to myself, like, they were so lazy. Couldn't they just pray? Because some of you are like, the reason why we jumped to that conclusion is some of you are like, that's my prayer life. <laughs> Whenever I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand with Jesus, I'm going to pray, I'm asleep. You know, it just kind of, it, it happens to some of us, right? And so we think that it's the same with them. But the Bible actually tells us in Luke 22, verse 45, 
It says, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Found them sleeping for sorrow. They're not just lazy. They're not just just too sleepy to pray with Jesus. They're actually experiencing an intense amount of sorrow knowing that Jesus is going to go to the cross. And this is their coping mechanism. This is how they deal with that pressure is by sleeping, coping with the, with the, ter- the turmoil that comes from that. I remember when my wife and I were uh, waiting to hear the report from the doctor on some of our pregnancies where we had ectopic pregnancies and, and had complications, and we were waiting for the report, and there was just this turmoil emotionally that we were feeling at the thought of, of losing the baby that we were pregnant with at the time, and then later the babies that we were pregnant with. And honestly, we slept the whole day. We just slept the whole day because there was nothing else that we could think to do. It's just a sleeping from sorrow. It's a sleeping because of the, the intensity of the emotions that, we, that we're dealing with. And so Jesus admonishes them in this moment. And he says to them, don't sleep. Don't sleep through this. Don't miss this. Stay up with me. I know this is a sorrowful moment. I know this is a pressured moment. I know this is a difficult moment. But don't try and escape. Don't try and make your way out of the pressure in your own strength. Stay up with me. Stay focused on me. Pray with me. Be in the Spirit with me. Deal with this alongside me. Be aware of what's going on, lest you enter into temptation, Jesus says. The biggest temptation that we enter into when we experience sorrow and when we experience pressure is to try and figure things out in our own strength. Jesus says, don't do that. Stay up with me and pray. In other words, declare your dependence upon God when you face the pressure. Don't be tempted to operate in your own strength. Because ultimately, the answer for our pressures is not better coping mechanisms. Some of us have been developing our coping mechanisms our whole lives, and yet they still don't quite suffice. The answer to dealing with pressure comes in turning to Jesus finding our rest in Him, trusting in His sovereign grace, trusting in His goodness, trusting in His presence, trusting that He is with us even through that pressure, even in the midst of the hardship. Our our minds are are so good at suppressing moments of pain and, and feelings of pain to the point where we often leave a lot of stuff in our lives unresolved. Do you know that? We, we don't even realize it, but half of the things that we have stored up on the inside of us are stuff that God doesn't even want us to deal with and, and, and to, to, to sit with for the rest of our lives. Those are things He wants us to work through, to process, and to put behind us. But because it's so painful to deal with some of the memories and some of the hardships and some of the things that we go through, we so easily suppress the things that have happened in our past or the hurts that we've felt or the, the things that we've been through. We so easily suppress it. And Jesus is saying, I am here with you. I am going to keep you safe. I am going to protect you. Don't be afraid of facing your pain. That's the courage that the gospel gives us. The courage that the gospel gives us is that God is committed to us. He will not let us fall. He will not let us break. He will not let us be lost. And so we can face moments of pressure and moments of pain with courage, with strength, with hope. Jesus is saying, don't run away from the pain. Don't miss the miracle that I am about to do. Don't miss the miracle that I'm about to do in your life. Stay up and watch with me. 
Stay up and watch. See what I will do in your life if you just trust me. I believe that pain and pressure in our lives can serve a purpose. Pain and pressure can, uh, can be used by God in our lives to actually uh, do something genuinely hopeful in us, genuinely uh, 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 valid and, 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 and valuable in our lives. Sometimes all we need is to change our attitude towards pressure. How do we see pressure? How do we, what is our attitude towards facing pressure in our lives? I believe that God can use pressure and, and pain and moments of, of stress to give us hope. So in James chapter number 1 and verse 3, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, we'll put it up on the screen. But look at what, what, uh, what James writes. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Just count it a joy when you face pressure, when you face trials, when you face hardships. Count it all joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a testing there. And that testing isn't like a pop quiz. Like when you show up in maths class and the teacher's like, I want to see if you've done your homework. Take out your books. Let's see if you've got faith. No, this testing, a better word for it is proving. A proving of your faith. The same way that gold is refined through a process of proving. Through a process of heating up and removing the impurities. There's, a, there's, there's something that is valuable that is happening through this process. So the testing of your faith, the putting your faith under pressure, heating it up, putting you in a situation that's difficult to deal with, it is actually producing a maturity in you, a steadfastness. When you're immature in your faith, your faith is great, and then you take a knock, and then it's like, ah, oh, I, th I thought God loved me, but obviously He doesn't. <laughs> Maturity looks like when things are good and when things are going bad, you're going, God is faithful, God is true, God is with me, I'll keep my eyes fixed on Him. So it produces a steadfastness, and then steadfastness will have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So count it joy when you face pressure because God is working in you. He's doing something significant. He's doing something that will produce a perfection in your faith, a perfection in your maturity before Christ, and you will find yourself lacking nothing. So in the little bit of time that we have left, here are three ways in which pressure can be helpful in your life. Number one, if you're writing this down, is that pressure can clarify our priorities, okay? Pressure can help you to clarify your priorities in life. Priorities are those which you give the most attention to, what you decide is the most important in your life. And in this world that we live, with all of the distractions that we have, with all of the influences that come into our lives, with what media tells us and what our friends tell us and what we see around us, it is easy to become distracted in terms of what is genuinely important. It's easy for us to prioritize the wrong things or to get our priorities out of whack or misplaced and to lose sight of the things that really matter in life. And most of these things happen because we're self-serving individuals without Jesus. We, 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 we want to serve ourselves, so it's all about what I can do and what I can have and how, what I can achieve and, and, and what I can make for myself. But there's nothing like pressure. There's nothing like a crisis 
in your life. There's nothing like a moment that is too big for you to handle. Some of those hard-hitting moments to help clarify for you what is genuinely important and get your priorities back into order. It can clarify your priorities. My wife and I were, were um, privileged enough to be able to have dinner one evening with um, Pastor Ginny Smith, who is Judah Smith, well-known uh, preacher and pastor in the, in the U.S. Um, it's his mom. And they started, along with her husband, they started uh, the City Church in Seattle, which is just an incredibly influential church uh, in the U.S. And, and Pastor Wendell Smith was, was just one of a kind kind of a guy. I, I listened to a couple of his messages and was always so inspired by the things that he would share and the things that he would say. And towards uh, his, uh, his 60s, in fact, um, he, he, he developed cancer and had cancer and, and uh, was still leading the church in this, in this, uh, through this pain and, and actually sometimes preaching, sitting down just in a chair on stage with a box of tissues next to him, just battling this, his, his body is just battling this cancer. But you, you would, you wouldn't have, if you looked in his face, you wouldn't have been able to tell that he was battling a disease. You wouldn't have been able to tell that he was weeks away from passing away because of the joy that he had in his face. And, and he said that week after week after week, as they led their church, the one thing he kept saying to them is, whatever happens, we win. Whatever happens, we win. That was just his faith. That was just his heart. And I remember watching that and thinking, that is the kind of pastor that I would want to be in the future, where I just am so convinced in, in what I have in Jesus. I'm so convinced of the gospel that I know that whatever happens, that we can continually know that we'll win, that we can just have faith. And when he did get to the end of his life, um, we, we met with Pastor Ginny after he had passed away. And we basically, we, we um, sat with her and she said, you know what my husband used to say? When he got to the end of his life, he said it wasn't his accomplishments that mattered. It wasn't the buildings they owned or the, the, the things that they were able to, to, to achieve. It wasn't their bank accounts. It wasn't what people thought about them that mattered. It wasn't their social standing that mattered. It's not how high you can climb corporate ladders that actually make a difference. But what mattered was people. What mattered was, did we follow the call of God in our lives? And he says right at the end of his life, days before he was passed away, he said there were three things that matters to him. It's his family, his friends, and his church. That's what matters. And there's nothing like moments of pressure to help us realize those things. It also shows us how much we need Jesus how dependent we are upon Him and His grace and, and His presence in our lives, how much we need our families, how much we need our church. If life is good, a lot of people go, oh, I, don't need, I don't need church, I don't need church. Like, why do I need, why do I need to go sit in that building and listen to that guy talk every Sunday? Because church is more than a guy speaking over a microphone. Church is a family. Church is a community. Church is people that are there that know you and are known by you, people that will stand with you, that will pray for you, that will, that will be with you. And we don't always do that perfectly, so please don't think that we're a perfect church that always supports everybody perfectly. We do our best. But here is the truth, that when you face moments of pressure, it's the people sitting around you now, the relationships that come out of this, the friendships that you form in this community that will support you through those times. And so every person needs a church. Every person needs it. You know that people live in churches even if they don't know Jesus. It might be the pub. It might look like the pub. It might look like the golf course. It might look like a club. But people are still 
intent on surrounding themselves with others that care. The truth is, though, that in many of those situations, you'll be disappointed. This is why we're passionate about groups, about our connect groups, about people actually doing life together as opposed to just coming to a building on a Sunday morning. And so we realize in moments of pressure how important our families are, how we shouldn't take those that we care, those, those friends and, and, and those family members, those that we care for, for granted. We understand the role of the church so much greater. And so pressure can clarify our priorities. Number two, pressure can focus our faith. When the pressure's on, it has this way of simplifying things. Like, you could be focused on a ton of different things, and, and your life can be very much spread thinly across, uh, across a lot of different areas of focus. But when pressure comes or when crisis hits, what it does is it just it brings simplicity because you don't have the reserve or the capacity to deal with a lot of stuff right now. You can only deal on what's really important. And so it can actually help to focus your faith and, and, and take things that seem very complicated and make it very simple. It's the same with our Christianity. Our Christianity can get so complicated sometimes. Church can get so complicated sometimes. Our, our, our connect groups and, and, our, and, our, and our stories and our things, we can, we can actually get so complicated when we, we start looking at the 49 levels of revelation and, and about the intricacies of prophetic warfare and, and what p- p- political affiliations we should have or how many wings the different kinds of angels have. I mean, we can really start focusing on a broad scope of things within the context of church, but face some pressure and all you really want to know is, is God faithful and does He love me? Is he with me right now? Does he see what I'm going through? Does he care? What does the cross tell me about the faithfulness of Jesus? That's it. Uh, Honestly, I don't care how many wings the angel has. I just want to know, does Jesus care about my life? And it's okay to every now and again talk about the angels and talk about all the other things. But the focus of our faith is the simplicity of the gospel in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And there's nothing like pressure to help us get back there. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. We're people who, have, who, have, who face many different things and are in desperate need of a Savior. That's what it comes down to. We're broken people who need a perfect Savior. In bed last night, I, I'm lying in bed, and at around maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, um, Eli starts screaming in his bed. And so I jump up and I go over to his bed and he told me he had a bad dream. And, uh, and he's struggling now with this bad dream. And um, it, was, it was quite cute because he told me that the dream that he had was that Leo was going to fall. Leo was on the, his brother, his little brother was on the wall and was going to fall. So that's his nightmare, which as far as nightmares go is a pretty cute one. Um, and so, but I, I rush into his bedroom. When I hear him cry for help, I rush into his bedroom because he's my son and, and I don't want him to be afraid. I want him to know that I am with him in that moment. And you know, in that moment, as I picked him up out of his bed, he didn't need me to discuss the 10 points of good parenting with him. He didn't need me to tell him about how, you know, read him a book on how to overcome nightmares in your life or, or how to, you know, how to deal with, with these things biblically. 
Let me tell you how you deal with your nightmares biblically, boy. Sit down, Daddy's going to now teach you. That's not what he needed. <laughs> what he needed was a dad who picked him up and held him. That's what he needed. And so when it comes to focusing our faith, when, it's, when the pressure's on, you don't want to know about the 49 levels of revelation. You want to know that God is holding you in that moment. It focuses your faith on the Father heart of God. It simplifies it all. And that is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. It's His love for us. It's His sacrifice for us. It's everything He's done, and, and pressure just brings us back to that. The final thing, number three, is that pressure can foster our determination. It can actually foster our determination. I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but again, towards this time of the year, we have more change room meltdowns than any other time of the year. Because winter is over and you realize you may have had a, just a little bit too much hot chocolate and, uh, and some comfort food through the winter. And now you go into the change room because you need t-shirts and you need, you know, stuff to go on holiday with um, in the summertime. And you put that and you're like, why do these shirts no longer fit? The, cl the clothes in my cupboard don't fit. The, the normal sizes I would normally wear don't fit. And you realize you've put on some weight. And so you have a change room meltdown. Some people cry. Some people just start doing push-ups right there. It's like, that's it. <laughs> 20 minutes, 20 minutes right here in the change room. I'm losing this weight, baby. But that's what it does. When you feel the pressure or the intensity of a moment, it can actually foster your determination. That's why 1st of January or, or at this time of the year, people are like, I've got to get back into gym or I've got to, to start running or I've got to start doing something to make a change here in my life. So pressure can move us to act, where otherwise we would not have acted. Otherwise, we would have just been lazy. Otherwise, we would have just accepted the status quo. But now, because of pressure, we're forced into doing things that may actually be more valuable in the long run, that may actually benefit our lives. And if it wasn't for the pressure, there's a chance we would never have taken those steps. My uncle um, uh, has been a professional mercenary uh, fighting in every kind of war, breaking out all over the world for years and years and years. Um, since he was a young man, he has fought in, in, in many of the wars uh, as, as, a, as a hired uh, mercenary. And, and, and um, he recently showed me some footage. We visited with them. Uh, they live in Nelspruit, and we're up there and visited with them. And he had just come back uh, at that time from uh, a long time. I think he was in Iraq for about seven years. And he came back, and he was showing me some photos and some videos of how these guys lived when they were out there. And essentially, if they weren't actually engaged in a, a mission or in a, a certain thing that they had to do, they were training. There was never a moment where they were just you know, watching series on the couch or just relaxing because every moment that you can put in will ensure your survival if something had to break out. And so if they weren't physically in a battle or physically moving somebody along or, or doing whatever their, their mission was to do, they would be by the side of the road, shooting at targets, doing push-ups, running, making sure they fit, making sure they're strong. Now, I know this uncle of mine, and when he's home, he has this lazy boy chair. I think it's about 20 years old. And all he does is he sits on that and he records series for like every day of the week. That's what he does at home. But in that pressured situation, he's training, he's pushing, he's, he's, he's honing his skills, he's developing himself. He's becoming a better soldier every single moment that he's, 
there. Back in Joburg or back in, in Nelspreet, all he's really honing is his, is his knowledge of, of, of the latest series that's on, that's on air. And so those moments can actually help us develop and to, and to grow, motivate us towards our goals, and teach us what we're genuinely capable of. Do you know that the truth is that we all second-guess ourselves way too much? All of us, every single one of us in this room is capable of far more than we even give ourselves credit for. Where a little bit of pressure comes and we go, no, I'm going to die. Can't do this. I'm done. I need a holiday. You can handle far more than what you know, especially because you're not doing it in your own strength. You're doing it in Christ, especially because you're resting in His ability, in His strength, in His grace. And there's nothing like pressure to teach us this, to teach us that we can endure all things. The Bible says that we can endure all things. The Bible says that no matter how hard-pressed we are, we shall not be crushed. We shall not be destroyed. The Bible tells us that wherever sin abounds, wherever pressure abounds, wherever hardship abounds, God's grace abounds so much more. Whatever happens, we win, regardless of how tough it might seem right now. And together, we're more capable than we ever dreamed of. So there are some benefits to the pressure in your life. And sometimes it's, it's important to take a good attitude towards pressure. Pressure can clarify our priorities. It can help us focus our faith on Jesus. It can foster our determination. So let's not sleep through the sorrow. Let's not miss out on the miracle that God does as we deal with pressure in our lives. But let's keep our eyes on Jesus and allow him to lead us through every season. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.